The Bible says the pointed unto man wants to die. And then after this, the judgment. Jesus said straight is the way, narrow is the path that leads to eternal life, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. John 1, 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and all things were created by Him, without Him was nothing made that was made. A lot of people have trouble seeing who Jesus Christ is. He is God's Son. He is fully God, and God the Father, and God the Holy Ghost is. I'd like to thank you for joining us here today on our first sermon from the past. I have with me Brother Anthony and Brother Isaac. So, uh, Brother Anthony, you want to go ahead and tell us what you have for us today? Yes, we have a sermon from Pastor Mike when he was alive. It was May 29, 2007. Wow, that's amazing. Brings back memories. And in the sermon title was Crucifixion, Ascension, and Exhortation. On that note, we're going to go ahead and listen to the sermon along with you guys. Uh, please stay for after the sermon, and we're going to go ahead and give our thoughts and opinions. Uh, you be blessed and you be encouraged by this great word from a great man of God, a blast from the past. The book of Psalms, I mean, it's astounding, especially in that aspect I told you a while back where in the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter, remember Jesus talked about, it talked about the two disciples in the road to Emmaus after Jesus was crucified. And their world fell apart. They didn't understand. And Jesus constantly told them, you know, that he would be, go to Jerusalem. He'd be mocked and scourged of the elders and the scribes. And they would crucify him. They would kill him. But three days later, he would rise from the dead. They couldn't grab a hold to what he was saying. And here it was, three days after the crucifixion of Christ, they were going back home all discouraged when they ran into a stranger who was Jesus. And for some reason, he was disguised. They didn't recognize him. It's, what kind of talk is this? You're walking along that and look so sad. We say, well, uh, we meant someone. We thought he was the Messiah, but they killed him. Their world fell apart. And he walked along with them and he said, listen, oh fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written. And he talked about all the writings that were in the book of Psalms. He talked about, you know, what, what in the book of Moses, the Psalms, and the prophets. But especially that's where we're at today. We read the first 50 this time. Um, Jesus said that his, the book of Psalms referred to his crucifixion, his ascension, and his exaltation in the world to come. And so we're going to look at a few things today in the book of Psalms to give us understanding. Now, I'm going to start off with Psalm 22. But keep in mind, this is a picture directly, I mean, of the crucifixion of Christ. But it was written 12 to 1300 years before Christ died on the cross. The very type of torture and execution on the cross was not even known then. But yet, there's just another reason why we understand the Bible is the Word of God. No matter how much man and religion war against God's Word, he said heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. This book is what makes it different than any other religious book in the world, whether it be the Koran, uh, the Vetos, or the, the Hindus, or whatever book. There is no other book on the face of this earth that proves itself the Word of God. One of the aspects, not all of it, is through prophecy. The telling ahead of history before it ever happens. should be no great wonder because God wrote the book. The Bible says the scriptures were given by inspiration of God as the Spirit of God moved upon holy men. They wrote as the Spirit told him. Amen. 
you can disbelieve it or what, whatever you want and not believe it's the Word of God. And most men do because they don't want to be held under the confines of He tells us how to live a life that's pleasing unto Him. That's understandable. That happens with rebels. But what we do understand is this. It was impossible to fulfill that, this many facts of one time event of when Christ died. We're going to talk about a few other things. It was impossible to fulfill that in one time. You look at the, the, math, the, the mathematical statistics, and I forgot what it was, of any, I think it was any two or three of the prophets happening at one time, and these fulfilled a bunch of them. The mathematical statistics tell us that it was like if you covered the whole state of Texas, and it's a little bigger than Louisiana, with three feet of gold coins, three foot deep, marked one of them, Went out there somewhere, mixed it, shook it up, and you got one chance to go find that coin. What's the chance? You wouldn't do it. And that's only the most part. The Bible constantly prophecy after prophecy, but it fulfills the minutest detail. Amen. The Word of God. We ought to take closer attention. When it tells us to do what we ought to do to repent, turn to Jesus Christ, we ought to listen. There's people, there is going to be no other escape. When Jesus gave us such words like, I am the way, the truth, and life, no man comes to the Father but by me. That puts a lot of people in a precarious predicament. I mean, 1.3 billion Muslims, 1.3 billion Catholics, one point, uh, over billions of Hindus, Muslims, Confucianists, you name it. Not to say all the Protestants that don't really believe the Bible. They trust in a religious ritual and a ceremony and not in the shed blood of Jesus Christ only for their salvation. You know, it puts it in a place where there's not many people actually believe the Bible. Yeah. Come on. Y'all got to help me today, all right? All right, I do that after a while. <laughs> Let's start off with a smile. Come on. Because if, if, you, if you don't have a smile, it means you're straining about something. Because it takes less muscles to smile than it does to frown. So I want you all all relaxed. Okay, getting better. Some, some getting it. Okay. And I want you to listen. It starts off in Psalm 22, in the very first verse. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me from the words, uh, from the words of my roaring? Now, all of you who have been reading Bible a little while, especially Gospels, understand that this was the exact word that Christ spoke from 12 to 1300 years later. Was it rehearsed? Was he planned on it? I don't know. From what I can understand, crucifixion is the worst forms of death to die. You believe Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross. If he was an imposter, a lot of people want to say that. There's a lot of theories of what happened to Christ. You know, like as you know, Christ didn't really die on the cross. He only fringed that he was dead. Disciples took him down and in the coolness of the tomb later on he rose up. I can just see that. There's one with nails in his hand, a spear thrust in his side. Uh, reviving, you know, uh, just, you know, after losing all that blood, all that physical exertion uh, 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 out there, and he'd rise up and tell the, you know, disciples as we read a little further in the Gospels, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me would never perish. Now, come on, they wouldn't. You see, there was such a drastic change in the apostles' life. After Remember, before they were cowards. When they came and arrested Jesus, they all fled. After saying, we'll die with you. And Jesus did their heart. They stood against, after Jesus ascended, and they stood before the Sanhedrin, the rulers of Israel. Nothing could turn them back. That's the ones who, when they were threatened to kill him, said, we ought to obey God rather than man. 
And they did all end up giving their life for Christ. The crucifixion of Christ was no put-up ordeal. It was real. We've said before, the Jewish authorities, you know, after you know, the, the, the guards, that, I mean, Roman guards, who wouldn't dare desert their poor. We looked at that a while back during the time of Easter, or the resurrection, excuse me. That, you know, uh, when they arrested the 12 disciples, and the angel came and let them out. Yep. And when Herod went to get them, they weren't there. He said, execute every one of the souls that were guarding. They don't do that. They don't fail when they're given a mission to do. If you don't, if you don't complete it, they would have fell asleep. Because the Jewish authority says, you tell everybody while we slept. Disciples came and stole the body. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They didn't fall asleep. Nope. Hello? Amen. They didn't fall asleep. They bribed with a huge sums of money. Other theory says where the Roman authorities took the body of Jesus and hid it in another place. And they thought it was a resurrection. But that didn't make sense. Because <laughs> after the disciples got this began to preach and, and multitudes began to turn to Christ, all they had to do is go get the real body. They said, no, no, it's not right. Look, he's right here. But they couldn't produce the body either. Nope. Why? Because the things that we know of the gospel are real. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died, was in the grave three days, not one day, one night, three days and three nights. Early before sunlight, sometimes Sunday morning, he was arose from the dead. But I got to go back to where it started at. My God, my God, why has that forsaken me? Let me save you a little time. I've got a little bit to cover, so I'm going to read it to you. Matthew gave this aspect. Matthew 27, 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, lama sebastiani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What I was saying earlier, you think Jesus in the physical condition that he was, he was dying, was trying to think of a script that he could give before he died? No, no, it was just simply fulfilled word for word what was prophesied that the Messiah would say in his dying moments. It says in Mark 15, 34, And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eli, lama sebastian again, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Exact word. That is just only one point, okay? We, we, we can't build a whole lot on just one point. Second verse says, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season I am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, and they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. Now remember, I'm doing an over, overview. I'm not getting to each, each point of, you know, of breaking down every word. We're trying to get to the main parts of it. Sixth verse says, But I am a worm, and no man, reproach of men, and despised of the people. You all remember those verses? Because it says in, in that, what well, he says, I am a worm and a man, uh, uh, no man, the reproach of him, uh, despise the people. It's hard to understand who Jesus is and the role that he paid. We understand he was the Son of God, God the Son. In the beginning, God, it says, created the heaven and earth, Elohim, a plural noun. When he was going to make his prime creation, he made man in his image. God said, let us. Angels have no creative power. Only God does. Let us make man in our image. Man was made in the likeness of God. He created him. On and on, the Bible gives revelation of who God is. There are three distinct personalities in one Godhead. In the beginning, there was always three beings. 
We know him now as the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's not the way it always was. There was three beings. One became the Son when he became incarnate, and he was born, took upon the flesh of a human, but it was God's Spirit within him. And I remember a while back I told you about two or three weeks ago I was in Mississippi, witnessing to Job, witness how she tried to tell me. You trying to tell me God died on a cross? Now come on. Well, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. That's exactly what the Bible says who he was. But then you've got to understand all through the Bible, like in John 1, 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was, was God, and all things were created by Him. Without Him was nothing made that was made. But yet we understand the Him who was God. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. That Jesus, though He was Son, the Creator, the Master of all, was this humble? We read a little bit of him. It says in Isaiah 49 and verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, his Holy One, to him, to him whom man despised, to him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful, the Holy One of Israel. He shall choose three. Speaking of the, 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 the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he would come, it says that he would be the man that would be despised and the nation would abhor him. It says in John 1 verse 14, he came into his own. And his own. It says that. His own received him not. His own nation, his own people despised him. By the time his ministry was up, the nation hated him. Did he do any wrong? No, he went about doing good, healing that was all that were oppressed of the devil. Healed the sick. Uh, I mean, he made the lame whole. He opened blinded eyes, opened deaf ears. He made the dumb to talk. He even uh, resurrected the dead. He proved who he was. But because of the jealousy of the Jewish hierarchy, they had him murdered. But it was always prophesied ahead that the Lord Jesus would die. And the main reason he came, as John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That was the one mission Jesus Christ had when he came into the world, was to die for the sins, not only for the nation of Israel, but also for the sins of the whole world. And here we find him dying on Calvary's cross. It says in Isaiah 52, 14, As many were astonished, his vision was so more, more than any man, his form more than the sons of man. It says in Isaiah 53, I'm not going to try to read it all, but listen at it real carefully. It's one of the prime uh, places in the Bible we hear one of the prophecies of Christ's suffering. So much so that, remember the Ethiopian eunuch, that when Peter had preached a, a revival in Samaria, that the angel, the Spirit told him, go into the desert place and, you know, just wait. And there was a chariot coming. He said, go attach yourself to this chariot. Go run after him. And there was an Ethiopian man, a black man, was reading the Bible, coming back from church from Jerusalem, still empty like he went. And he was reading the Bible. And he asked him, he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no. He said, let someone show me how am I going to understand. And so he came up into the chariot with him, and he found that he was reading in a place. It was Isaiah 53. And it says, Philip began to expound unto him what it was being written about. Isaiah 53, one who hath believed thy report, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, out of a root of a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness that when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it was our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That was Jesus Christ, the, the, the sum of all beauty, the Son of God. But yet he was rejected, even by his own hometown folks. They tried to kill him also, remember? 
Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it is important you understand Psalm 55. New Testament tells us about, the, about Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he tells the Christian, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, meaning he was God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to the cross, even the death of the cross. Can you understand this? We're not talking like the Jehovah's Witness say he was Michael the archangel. The Bible doesn't testify to that. The Bible says plainly in Hebrews chapter 2, he didn't come in the form of an angel. He partook of flesh and blood. He, Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. And then he didn't come as a ruler. He came as a gentle lamb. He came for one reason, to die in our place, to die for our sins. He was humble. Though he was the God who owned it all, created it all. When he presented himself to the nation as their Messiah, he didn't ride in on a white stallion, rode in on a donkey. The disciples of John came to him and show us where you live. He said, let the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. The fox have hold, birds of the air has nests. The Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. Didn't own one, one piece while he was on this earth of anything. Came time to pay taxes. He had to tell Peter, go fishing. First fish that comes up when you cast in the hook. Look in his mouth, there's a piece of gold. Pay our taxes. I mean, when he died, he had to borrow a tomb to be buried in, a rich man's tomb. But he just borrowed it for a little while. Because he didn't plan on staying there. 1 Peter 2.24, of his own self bearing his body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Something about him, it says in Psalm 22 and verse 6, the reproach of men despised the people so much so that they wanted him gone. Amen? Hard to understand that. I even Pilate, I mean, Old Testament law demanded that when a lamb was to be offered up, he had to be examined. Opened his mouth, checked his teeth, couldn't be crooked, couldn't be decayed, checked his fur, had to be perfect, uh, the wool, sorry. Checked his legs, couldn't be, uh, couldn't have a, 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 a socket out of place, had to be perfect. Pilate three times said, find no fault in him. He was examined by Herod, found no fault in him. But, Pilate knew he was an innocent man, that he was brought to him for judgment because of the jealousy of the Jewish leaders. They said of them, there's a custom at every Passover you'll let release a prisoner into us. And so Pilate and his thinking, Pilate didn't want to have Christ die, uh, die. He didn't want him to be crucified. He remembered that in their prison, they had a notorious prisoner, Barabbas was insurrectionist. I mean, he was always causing, stirring up against the Roman government, always caused trouble, and was even a murderer. And he said, surely these quote-unquote religious people would rather have an innocent man like Christ released than a notorious murderer like Barabbas. And when he said, who shall I release unto you? To his astonishment, they said, Barabbas! He couldn't believe it. But no one knows the height of hypocrisy and vengeance of false religion. Hello? Let me go on. I've got a lot to cover in a little while. Let me go on verse 7. Uh, they that see me laughed me to scorn. They shoot out the lips and shake the head. 
He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, seeing him, seeing, let him deliver him, seeing that he delighteth in him. Now, these words right now that I just read to you, uh, it's exactly what the Jewish leaders would said about him. Now, let me tell you, they were not warned to try to prove that the scriptures were right. Because Jesus said in John 5, if you believe Moses right, you would believe me. And they said this about Jesus in Matthew 27, 43. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. Mark 15, 27. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, Oh, ah, thou that destroyed the temple building in three days. In Luke 23, 35, it says, the, the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. They repeated what Psalm 22 said twelve to 1,300 years earlier. I'm going to drop on down to the 12th verse for the sake of time. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. They gapped on me with their mouths as raved against a roaring lion. Uh, we understand that they, the rulers are the very one. Now, understand, we talk about the Sanhedrin. That's like in America going to the Supreme Court. They had 70 leaders of Israel who were the chief men of that nation. They pretty much run the nation. They made the laws, the rules. They were supposed to be only upholding God's law. But they were the very ones who came against the very God who created them and gave them the law. Through their misinterpretation of the law, Christ was the only, the only sinless one that ever walked perfect in the law. But yet they found fault in him. It says in Matthew 27, which I said earlier, verse 20, but the chief priests and elders persuade the multitude they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Why did the elders come against Christ today? Why did they stir up a mob spirit to get the common people to want Christ crucified? Because they resented, they hated the God whom they served. Listen, these were religious people. Remember what we said earlier about them. They wore the long robes. They wore... Uh, phylacteries, leather tongs about their arms filled with scriptures. They, they had this thing over their head, a little scripture by full of scriptures. They prayed three times a day. They went to church often. They gave 10% of everything they owned. They gave alms to the people. But they didn't even know God. Religion is not relationship. Religion does not save a person. It's easy for someone to make a religion out of anything the only thing that saves is a saving knowledge of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Pure and simple. Acts 2.36 Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. He placed the blame on the religious leadership of Israel for crucifying God's Son. Acts 3 verse 13 to 18 The God of Abraham and of Isaac, the God of our fathers, has glorified His Son Jesus whom you delivered up and died, denied Him in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One of the just, and desired the murder to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God has raised from the dead, of whom we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you know, yea, the faith which is by him has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that through ignorance you did it, as did also your rulers. And those things which God before has showed by the mouth of his prophets, that Christ should suffer was so fulfilled. And so it was. Psalm 22 was one of the Psalms that were written that fulfilled, that was prophesied of the suffering of Jesus Christ. You see, the Jews could not believe that. 
They were anticipating the Messiah to come. They believed at any time that the Messiah would come who would deliver them. He would break off the Roman yoke off of them and they would once more be the head nation. They couldn't see someone coming like Christ and humbly yielding up his life to pay for their sins. They couldn't see that. But that's exactly what happened. You remember what I said earlier? He had to explain to those two disciples that he was only fulfilling what the prophet said. Amen. They couldn't understand. Messiah would come, but he would come twice. Once he would come to give his life as a ransom for sin. And he's coming back again soon as the King of Kings Yay. and Lord of Lords, which we're going to get to in a little while. Huh? <laughs> come on. We're all going to know the truth before long. I'm going to drop on down a little bit further. I've got so many I'd I, I, I want to cover. In Psalm 22 in verse uh, 16, for dogs have compassed me. Now, what do they mean by that? In Jewish terminology, the dogs he talked about, there was, there was only three kinds of dogs. There was a literal dog. The Gentiles were called dogs by the Jews. And homosexuals are called dogs. In context, he was speaking of Gentiles, which you and I were. You remember the little Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus? She wasn't Jewish. She, was, <laughs> she just wasn't Jewish. She was Syrophoenician. Syrophoenician. And um, her daughter was demon-possessed. She came to, the, to Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't even look at her. She kept going after the disciples. Please talk to him. Get his attention for me. And they, they said, man, Lord, do something with us. She, she, she cries after us. He said, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. But this woman knew what she wanted. She wasn't offended by it. She came with tears before Jesus and said, yes, even the dogs eat of the children's crumbs. Right. So I'm not asking for that. I just want a crumb. And Jesus said, and great is your faith. According to her faith, he granted her her petition, and her daughter was healed, delivered. But there is the aspect. He's talking right here about dogs. Now, what did they have to do with it, about his crucifixion? Yes, the Jewish leadership wanted him dead, had him arrested, but they couldn't kill him. So they brought him before the Romans, the dogs, the Gentiles, to have him executed. For the dogs have compassed me. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierce my hands and feet. Uh, Acts 4.27 The apostles quoting this scripture of a truth against thy holy child whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pilate. With the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Matthew 7, 36, and they crucified him. They parted his garments. Now who did this? Not the Jews. Roman soldiers, remember, and I'm going to read this in a little while. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they did cast lots. John 19, 37, and again another scripture said, and they shall look at him whom they pierced. John 20, verse 20. And when they had set, so said, he showed them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. This is after Jesus' uh, resurrection. And they said to him, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. For whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said, except I see his hands, the print of the nails, 
and put my finger into the, uh, the print of the nails and thrust my hand to the side, I will not believe. Notice what, what Thomas said. Notice what the Bible says, how Christ died. They pierced his hands and his feet. There was no such thing 1,200 years earlier, a crucifixion on the cross, a man being nailed to a tree or a cross, whatever it was. But here it was prophesied exactly how the Messiah, God's Son, the humble servant, the Lamb of God, would be, would, would be arrested and want to be put to death by the Jewish leaders, but they wouldn't do it. The Gentile nations would have him executed, and not just executed anyway, they would crucify him before that method was ever known. And the, eight, uh, and the 17th verse, And I may look upon my bones, for they look and stare upon me. It says in Zechariah 12 and verse 10, And I'll pull upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace, and supplication, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one that mourned for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. It says that uh, when Christ died, and I didn't, we, we only have the first 50 ver, uh, Psalms, that it says not a bone of his was broken. It also says, I mean, look upon all my bones. You know, Jesus was so severely whipped by the Roman soldiers that literally tore his flesh to shreds. The Bible says, I read earlier in Isaiah 53, he was so marred that his vestige, his, his appearance, you couldn't even tell he was a man. But he was shedding his lifeblood for our sins. It says in verse 18, well, let, let, let me back up just a little bit. I, I don't want to go too fast right here. He keeps coming back, back about they pierced my hands and my feet. There's something though Jesus was the Son of God, though he died in our place, though he was executed the most infamous way, the most horrendous way, to be nailed to a tree and there to expire by exposure and pain and suffering. Yet we know the story he died, he resurrected and exalted in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus has something that we sometimes forget. The scars are still there. When he resurrected again, Thomas said, and unless I put my finger, those nail prints, yeah. stick my hand in the side. You know in heaven there is Christ. Yeah. If you were to see him, it says that in Revelation 5 chapters, he's described as a lamb that was slain. When you're going to see Jesus, when he does this, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see nail prints. Yeah. If you're going to see his feet, you know what you're going to see? Nail prints. If you look in his side, you know what you would see? A spear that tore through his rib cage. Why? Because all through, all through eternity you're going to remember that's the only reason, the only way we have eternal life. That's the only way we could be forgiven of our sin was the, in, the innocent Lamb of God, the Son of God, who willingly gave up his life for us. But then in this, when Christ comes back, and people, I'm, we're not trying to go through all this eschatology. All we know is soon what the Bible says, the blessed hope is soon to appear. Christ is soon to come back for his church. We're going through a seven-year tribulation period. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, Christ is going to appear as King of kings and Lord of lords. As it says in Revelation 19, chapter, as he comes back, leading the host, the armies of heaven with him. But it says this about him. It says, in, 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 as I just read to you in Zechariah 12, it says, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. It says in Zechariah 13, 6, And one shall say to him, What are these wounds in your hands? And he shall answer, Those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. 
And in Revelation 1.17, the book of Revelation is a revelation of who Christ is, the Lamb of God. And coming back is the reigning monarch, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It says, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. This isn't the rapture, because no one will see him. He's coming like a thief in a knife. But when he comes back physically, visibly to the earth at the end of the tribulation period, it says, then, it says this, Behold, he cometh with the clouds, and every eye shall see him. They also which pierced him, meaning the Jewish nation. And all the kindred of the earth shall wail because of him. Those prince will ever be there, people. Our reminder that God the Son took our place. What we deserved, he bore on us. And that we can freely be forgiven of our sin and inherit eternal life by putting our trust in the Son of God. It says this amazing thing. And they poured my garments among them and cast off my vest on it. All the things so far that I read and fulfilled. Look at this little bit of detail. It says this in uh, Matthew 27, 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. David was a prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture they died. Not only were there four soldiers that given the job of crucifying Christ, they each had a part, but when it came to his vesture, his undergarment, it was one piece. They said, let's not tear it. Let's cast lots for it. Let's gamble. At the foot of the cross, while Christ was dying for the sins of the world, the, the Gentile uh, soldiers, they were gambling for his clothes. How much more can it be so specific what the prophet said? It says this, They part my garments, verse 18 of 22, among them and cast lots for my vesture. People, that was no chance. I didn't give you just one fulfilled prophecy. I gave you a handful so far. And it goes on and on. We're only dealing with one uh, psalm right now. Again, in Mark 15, 24, when they crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. Psalm 22, and verse 22. I'm skipping. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation while I praise thee. Speaking of the resurrection of Christ, the exaltation of Christ. If you understand what took place when Christ rose from the dead, he had to send up into heaven first, and there apply his blood to the mercy seat whereby all of our sins can be forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4, he said he took captivity captive when he ascended out of, hell, out of what we call the place of paradise, was then in the earth, when the righteous dead, uh, dead were at until Christ paid the price. Then the righteous souls were not allowed into heaven. But it says he took captivity captive. There from the time of Abel, all the time of Christ's death, all the righteous dead were brought to heaven because his blood had paid the price. But we read this in Hebrews 2 and verse 12. The writer of Hebrews saying this fulfillment, saying, I will declare my name unto my brother in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. You understand he's speaking of Christ resurrected? Do you know that when you came to church together, if you're a church that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. Amen. Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 speaks of Christ, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And it plainly says the last verse in Revelation chapter 2, the seven golden candlesticks represents the churches of God. Do you know that when you came to church today, you may not see him with your eyes, but you should be able to feel him with your heart, that Christ is walking up and down in the midst of these aisles. You know what else he does? It says this. In the midst of the church, I will sing praise unto you. 
He sings it to his father. You know Christ sings? You know, after the Last Supper, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane there, he would suffer. He says him and the disciples sung a... What's how to sing? He's probably the best singer. In fact, he created it all. But you know he still sings? But I'm not going to get into all that, but anyhow. Uh, it goes on. And I'm, not, I'm trying to cover a few more things. Y'all got a few minutes left? It says this. I'm going to go on verse 25 on down for ways. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him, and his heart shall live. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. All the kindred of the nations shall worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord, and he is the governor among the nations. And they that shall be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him, and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him, and it shall be accounted to the Lord for generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness to a, a people that shall be born that had not done this. So what's he talking about? 2,000 years ago, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, died on Calvary's cross. He was in the grave for three days and three nights. He borrowed a rich man's tomb. He ascended from the dead. Forty days later, he ascended back up into heaven. And there he's been in heaven for the past 2,000 years. And for the past 2,000 years, we were living in a dispensation called the dispensation of the gospel of Christ. For 2,000 years now, God has commissioned his people to go into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded them. A people is being called out of the world called God's church. Everyone that hears the gospel can be saved. Will all be saved in the end? No. The disciples plainly asked him, Lord, are there many to be saved? He said, no. He gave them so many words, he said, there'd be few. Because not everybody's going to respond. A lot of people rather religious ways, go through religious ritual, that we can still do our religious rituals and still live our own life. A lot of people are going to reject it, not wanting to give up their sins. Say, I'd rather my life. They all want to repent when it comes to the end, but then it's too late. Everybody becomes a believer once they die, but not everybody will be saved. But what the gospel says is to preach the gospel to every man in whom the Holy Ghost convicts their heart of their sin, realizing their need of forgiveness and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It commands them to repent, to turn their life about, give their life to Christ. And when a person puts their full trust in Christ, they are truly born again, as Christ said. Then they are God's children, adopted into God's family. And then we understand the fulfillment of these scriptures that for 2,000 years, every nation has been affected. There is some in every nation has come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When he returns, he's coming back with his saints. And there he's going to establish his kingdom upon the earth. For a 1,000 years, he will rule and reign as the king of all the earth. And then he goes on to eternity where once more we'll see forever the Father and the Lamb ruling over the universe. And we go into eternity. Never again will this world be marred by sin. We're just going through a process right now where he's ridding the world of all sin and rebellion. It's not yet run this course. Christ has paid the price and the curse is being broken. We can't get into all that right now. I want you to remember, I'm going to quickly go through a few more things. Psalm 22 spoke of the, Christ, the, the, the death of Christ 12, 1300 years before it ever happened. Depicting crucifixion on a cross, which he describes so accurately. The things that Christ would say, the things the Gentiles, the things that the Jewish leaders would do to him, the way that they parted his garments, the way he would rise from the dead, because that's what he speaks about in 28 verse 22 on down. His resurrection and glorification. All being fulfilled. We're going to quickly turn back to Psalms 2 and quickly go through just a few things, okay?
We know that after Christ rose from the dead, the disciples were given the charge to go and to preach the gospel unto every creature. But Jesus told them not to do anything, but wait until they received the promise of the Father, which you heard, what he would send to them. Ten days later, after Christ ascended, was the day of Pentecost. On that Sunday morning, as the church, 120 of them, were gathered together in one mind, one heart, one accord, as they were seated, the Holy Ghost arrived from heaven. Hello? And they were filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak in their tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And things began to change from that day on. Peter preached a, a message, a little short message, and 3,000 souls. I mean, that's the anointing, the power of the Holy Ghost upon those apostles. As a little bit later it went on, another time in the third chapter, 5,000 souls were, were one. They were preaching the resurrected Christ. But the Jewish leaders again, as they'd done to Christ, wanted his disciples dead. They did not want this word spread. Because now conviction was beginning to come that they understood they killed the Son of God. They knew it. They tried to shut him up. Twice they brought him before them. This last time which I'm going to read to them, they beat him. But it says that when the disciples left in their presence, they were glad. They were rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer such things for the name of Christ. And the church was gathered all together. And they prayed unto, the, unto God, and they asked Psalm 2. Verse 1, why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder, and let us cast away their cords from us. It was being fulfilled when Christ walked the earth, the rulers of the earth, the Jewish Sanhedrin, the high priest, the elders, Herod, the king of Jews, Pilate, the governor of Rome. Every one of them came together for one reason, to fight against God and his Christ and have him crucified. We find somewhere a few months later, the apostles were under persecution and they brought this scripture up again. Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. What makes them think that they can never find eternal life in any other way but through Christ Jesus? Has the world gone mad? Look at the world which we live in today. They're not fighting against, against, against Muhammad, Buddha, any other religions. Only one religion is fought against and despised and persecuted this day. It's Christ Jesus and true Christianity. It's the only one. Schools today, they caused, like in California, after the attack of 9-11, they wanted the children there to dress as Muslims, learn scriptures in the Torah, and to, to understand what it was like being a Muslim. If they'd have done it with Christ, if they'd have said we're bringing a Bible, to learn scriptures, and remember, the Bible was the first textbook that America had. That rose to America's greatness. Remember, the, the, the biggest colleges we have today, Harvard, Princeton, all these were Bible colleges to, their, their goals were to train young men as missionaries to preach the gospel of Christ. Now all they do is fight against Christ. Why is it after a while, after Christ has blessed the nation, blessed the people, why do they fight against Him? Because that same spirit that always prevails today, today it's the same thing. People will have religion, but they will not have Christ. And Jesus said, if you be ashamed of me of my words, I'll be ashamed of you when I appear in my glory with His holy angel. You see, it's always happened like that. Religion after gets to place, they see they don't need Jesus. Oh, that, that's too narrow, too straight. Because Jesus said, straight is the way and narrow is the path that leads into eternal life, but broad is the way 
that lead it to destruction. I remember when I was raised up in, 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 in popular religion. Man, I thought I had it made. I thought we were the only true religion. I thought it was the one I could do what I wanted to do, go to the priest, confess my sin, ready to go again. But I didn't know that he demands holiness and righteousness, but I couldn't do. The only way I can keep it is by being born again and come to Jesus Christ, having cleansed me from my sin and, his spirit, and the Spirit of God living in me. Perfect? No. But thank God, if I fail, His Spirit convicts and He, he, he works in me till He causes me to get rid of it. Understand, I need to walk with Christ. Let me go on a little bit further. Fourth verse, it says this, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have him in derision. He shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them short in, this, in his, uh, his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. The Bible said when Christ ascended, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know that Christ is still alive today? The same Christ that walked the earth, the same Christ that was crucified, he is still alive today in that same body. Jehovah Witness says when he rose from the dead, he rose the spirit. But Jesus said to the disciples, they were scared he was a ghost. He said, touch and feel. A spirit has not flesh and blood like I have. This same body that Christ died in is ascended up into heaven and he is seated. He is coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 7 says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son this day have I begotten thee. What he was talking about was when Christ rose from the dead. He became the firstborn of all that will forever live. When Christ came, he was in a natural body like any other man. He died, they killed him on the cross. His spirit didn't die. His spirit, the Bible says, went to paradise where he told the thief that died on the cross with him. Today you will be with me in paradise. A person never dies. He's right with God. He goes to be with Christ in heaven. Paul said to be after in the body to be present with the Lord. But if you're not right with God, you're not born again, you go to hell. No matter how much false religions always say there is no such literal place. The Bible says it. And Bible truth, spiritual truth only got from one book. And that's called the Bible. Hello? But when Christ rose from the dead, the first ever, the first, he had a human body. The first ever to rise from the dead, never to die again. Other people have been raised from the dead already, but they had to live to die again. But Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. Guarantee in our resurrection, whether it's in the rapture that happens, when the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we that are alive remain, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12, we are alive remain, shall be caught up together, shall be changed and caught up together. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye. But it fulfilled who Jesus was, the Son. Listen, ask of me and I'll give you the, the heathen for thy inheritance. And that's what's been happening. The Bible says Christ Jesus ever lives. Hebrews 7, 7. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He's been praying for you and I. I can see it's the only way I got saved. I was lost in sin. I was lost in religion. I didn't know. I thought I was right, not knowing I was being deceived all this time. Until one time I finally heard the gospel at 21 years old. And the Holy Ghost opened my eyes and understood I was a sinner. Though I went through every ritual and sacrament that I could go through, I was not saved. But when I asked Christ to come into my heart, momentarily, in that instant, I knew I was saved. 32 years later, it's never changed. I know I'm saved because I put my faith in the shed blood of God's Son. And He prays for me. And if you are born again today, it's because Christ is what he said. Ask of me and I'll give you then heathen for your inheritance and, uh, and the utmost parts of the earth for thy possession. Hey, came all the way down to Bayou Portage. Of all the places in the world, starting from Jerusalem, look where it's ending up at. I know it's going throughout the world. There is not a nook in the cranny where God's spirit does not search out lost souls. He loves them and doesn't want to see them perish. Thou shalt break them uh, with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in peace as a potter's vessel. Be wise, therefore, you kings. And that's the, uh, the, the lesson, the message for every ruler of this world right now. 
Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. There is the divine revelation that God has a Son. You see, the Muslims say their first tenet of their belief, Allah has no Son. Right there, it proves them a false religion, a demonic religion. God has a Son. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him and who? In Christ Jesus. The Bible says you can't earn salvation. By the righteous works of the law shall no flesh be saved. But the Bible says that is the free gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast, but it is the gift of God. God's gift is a gift to anyone that wants to be saved. Let me quickly run through a few things, people, I need to run through. Because in these 50 Psalms, I'm going to quickly run through some that I had put down. And some, some, uh, no, I'm going to go further than that, further than that, further, come on, keep going down, lower, lower, lower. I was a lot of scripture, I had to fulfill every scripture wrote down, we don't have the time. Psalm 16, verse 8, I have said always before me, because he is at my right hand, speaking of Christ Jesus, sat on the right hand of God the Father, in glory. I shall not be moved, therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoice, my flesh shall rest in hope, for thou did not leave my soul in hell. Neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou hast showed me the path of life, and the presence of its fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, when the, the, the Jewish people, when they saw him, they were speaking in tongues, and they understood what they were saying. They were speaking of the wondrous works of God. And they said, what's going on? And Peter rose and told them what was going on. He said, this is fulfillment of what Joel prophesied. In the last days he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he got the attention of those people, and Peter stood up and preached to them a simple message. And in it he brought up to them Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11. Again in Acts 2, when he was preaching to this crowd, of whom 3,000 souls cried out to him, Men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? He said this, David speaking concerning him, Christ. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to seek corruption. Thou hast made me to uh, known the ways of life, and thou shalt make me full of joy with thy coming. Meaning this simply what he's telling you, the resurrection of the Son of God, 1,213 years before that ever happened before, is prophesied of God's Son arising from the dead. He would never allow Christ's flesh to see corruption because he rose again from the dead. It says in Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offerings thou didst not desire. Mine ears thou hast opened. Burn offering, sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book as is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Though I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have hid, not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness, thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth to the great congregation. People, listen. What I've just read right here is one of the most astounding prophecies ever to be fulfilled. That when Christ Jesus came into the world, he said, Then I said, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. Psalms 40, to do thy will. It says this, Hebrews 10, 5, the fulfillment. Wherefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings thou would it not, but a body thou hast prepared me. Christ was born of a virgin. Christ grew to manhood. At 30 years old, he was anointed of the Holy Ghost and into ministry. Three and a half years later, 
they crucified him. That body, that body became the offering for the sin of all mankind that would ever live. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was like any other person. Not any other. He was, he was the Son of God, but with great tears, such a struggle to where drops of blood were falling, such agony he was in. He said, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He said, take this cup away from me, but not my will, your will. He knew what the Father's will was. That that was the only way you and I could be saved. The only way. There's no one in this world good enough to be saved. No, I don't care how good you think you are. In God's eyes, the Bible says, Romans chapter 3, there is none good, no, not one. If Christ wouldn't have went ahead, he had his own free will. The only reason that he went, the Bible says, is because he loved us. He didn't have to. He willingly laid down his life. They think they killed him. They didn't kill him. He gave up his life for us. Then said I, Lo, I come and divide in a book that is written of me to do your will. Psalm 41 prophesied that one of his faithful disciples would turn his back on him and betray him to the Jewish authorities. Psalm 41.9, my own familiar friend, in whom I trust who did eat my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. John 13.8, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture must, may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Speaking of Jesus Iscariot, who turned his back on his best friend. Judas was an imitator. He was a true disciple of Christ. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. Christ sent him out. He healed the sick, cast out the devil, preached the gospel. Was something the devil put in his heart to betray his son, his master. Whether he thought he would escape again or not, we don't know. Things that way. But nevertheless, he couldn't find repentance after he did what he did. Went out, hung himself, and he's in hell forever. Acts one and verse twenty-five. The disciples, while they were waiting on the descent of the Holy Ghost, said that he may take part of this ministry in the apostle. When they choose another another uh, apostle to take Judas's place, which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. That's what it was prophesied of him. And then I'm going to close with one more. All right, I know I took y'all a little long today. I'm sorry. But all the rest of the week, some of y'all may not read your Bible. God forbid. Psalm 45, verse 67. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness, hated wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy pleasure. A lot of people have trouble seeing who Jesus Christ is. He is God the Son. He is fully God as God the Father and God the Holy Ghost is. Even in the book of Hebrews, he was making distinctly clear to every one of us the fulfillment of this scripture. He said in Hebrews 1 and verse 8, But to the Son, capital S-O-N, not just any Son, there's only one Son of God, the only begotten of the Father. It says this, Thy throne, O God. This is God the Father speaking to His Son. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of Thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hate iniquity. Therefore, God, even Thy God, has anointed Thee with the oil of gladness above Thy fellows. Well, we're going to close with that today. I, I, I brought out a few scriptures to you today, people. That it, the, the gospel isn't a mystery. Jesus said, search the scriptures in John chapter 5, for they are they which testify of me. People read the Bible to find a religion, find a few good rules to keep and think by living by they'll get them eternal life. But Jesus said that the purpose of the Bible is to make people understand where they come from. They were created perfect. 
where their fall came from when our, our parents, four parents, Adam and Eve were deceived and fell and transgressed against God. It brought sin into the world and sin brought forth death. And every man that is born into the world has the taint of sin in his life. If nothing's done about it, he will die. And he will go to a place that was created for Satan and his angels when they caused the rebellion in heaven. Man has a choice that they have to make either to choose Satan or to choose God's way, which is through his son Jesus Christ. A person says, well, I'm neutral. I don't, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe Jesus is the only way. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I, I'm not for Satan. I'm not for, I'm neutral. But Jesus, he that is not for me, against me. There's no neutral ground in it. A man may want to believe what he wants to believe. But if truth is truth and if it's absolute truth, everyone's going to die. And everyone is going to open their eyes in another place Amen. and begin an eternal existence. He would say, what if you're wrong? Well, if I'm wrong, you ain't lost nothing. You'll just be dead. But if I'm right, and if the Bible's right, you've got heaven, heaven to gain, hell to shun. Is there anybody here that big of a gambler when it come against God and the recorded record that he put in the Bible? I just read to you a few of them. Verses that were fulfilled, that were prophesied and fulfilled thousands of years later to the T. Said what Christ said on the cross. Who would kill him? What he would say, what they would say. How they would divide his garments. I mean, his resurrection, everything. It's beyond comprehension, people. And there are hundreds of prophets fulfilled about Christ. Yet a man's going to step and say, I don't believe it's the word of God. Thereby casting with himself the only means that he can escape. It's like a man being, you know, uh, going on a deserted island. He said, I think I like it, like it here, not knowing that there was no water, no food. As soon as he lands, I like it. Hurries up, burns the boat down. <coughs> what did he do? He just got rid of the only means that he had to get away. When a man rejects Jesus Christ, refuses to give up, clings to his religion or his sins, and not come to Christ, he burned his bridge, he burned his boat. The only way means that he had that he could escape, he forsook it. But people, that's why the Bible was given to us. Jesus gave a story of a, of a rich man who died was in hell, Luke 16. When he realized there was no way he was ever going to get out, he said to Father Abraham, send Lazarus to tell my five brothers who are living just like me, lest they also come in this place of torment. It wasn't a similitude, it wasn't a parable, it was a direct story. But notice what Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe them, Neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. See, this rich man thought, man, if someone was rose from the dead, told him, they'd believe. No, no. If you can't believe the Bible, what it says, there's nothing that will help you. We bring to you the Word of God. How God sent His only Son into the world to die in your place, because it was the only way you and I could be saved. But you have to do something if you're not saved. You have to make Him the Lord of your life. You're a free moral agent. You don't have to. You can serve him and have eternal life. You can reject him. Live your existence on this earth. And then perish forever when your eyes close in death. But you don't have to. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Life. 
fulfillment of what Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I come that they would have life and have it more abundantly, more than quality, quantity. You'll have a better life because you don't have to live in sin. You'll have a long life called eternity with Christ. The Bible says, eyes is not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God understands. You're your own boss. You're your own God. You decide your destiny. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 31, choose you this day whom you will serve. Every head bowed, I need to ask a question. Someone may never get another chance again. They may be going to eternity before this day is over with. I don't know. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you facts. If you've never turned away from your sin, if you've never made Christ the Lord of your life, let him save you and change you, what are you waiting for? If you're not born again, don't you understand the dangerous predicament you're on? As one of the old uh, 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 preachers, Jonathan Edwards of time past, started one of the greatest revivals in early America. In his message, he said, a lost person like a man walking upon rotting boards that at any time they'll break and that man will plunge into an eternal hell and awaken the, 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 the sensibilities of man. Don't you understand the dangers? There is no second chance. Most of us would thought, believe if you die, someone could pray you out. There's no, there's no such thing. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says, appointed unto man wants to die. And then after this, the judgment. You have to die. You have to stand before a holy God. In your own strength and goodness, you'll never make it. But if Christ is your Savior, His blood covers and washes. He said, I'll remove your sins as far as the east is from the, the, the west, and I'll remember them no more. The Bible says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. The Bible says that we've received forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. It doesn't mention any other way, no other method, no other Savior but God's Son. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ to save your life, He wants to save you, please come and let us pray for you. Don't put it off, don't wait no longer. You are running out of time. When we start to understand what and why we believe, then we could better represent Christ for who he is. This is the foundation of our faith. This is a very, uh, very touching sermon for me. I heard this when I was young. And uh, it's very interesting. I like how he talked about how he was talking about the road to Emmaus. When the two, the two guys, Jesus' disciples, they were talking. And I like that part when he said that uh, when Jesus came to him. And he says, what are y'all guys are talking about? And. And he says, well, have you, you're the only stranger in Jerusalem who has not heard of the situation that's going on. And he says, no, tell me. He said, well, there was a man. We thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the chosen one of Israel. We thought he, he, we thought he really was the one. He did miracles. And we just, we don't know. Now we in doubt, pretty much, in, in what he was saying. And then Jesus told them, they said, have you not read what the prophets have said? Have you not read with, with Moses and, and Psalms and, and all the great men of God, how they wrote and they, they explained about who he was and, and he was bringing them back to scripture. And then, of course, he revealed to himself later on when they invited him, when he broke bread and then he disappeared. And they said, how, uh, our heart has not burned within us to know 
that he was there all the time. So it's very amazing how Christ, you know, and our, our Pastor Mike was saying that, how Christ bring them back to the Old Testament. And, of course, the Old Testament points to Christ. You know, I say it in my Bible studies. I tell them, I said, it's kind of like the Old Testament was like a cheerleader's. They're there to get you started. To hype you up. Yeah, hype you up. I'm sorry. Hype you up to get you ready for the big game that's coming. That's the football players. The moment everyone's waiting for. So the same thing like Jesus, you know. And that's what the Old Testament did. So Jesus is telling him, the telling disciples, you know, it's pretty much y'all were Jewish. Y'all grew up reading the, the Torah. First off, that's been long time. years since I heard of Brother Mike's message like that. And, mm -hmm. um... Just reminded me how great of a teacher he was. Mm -hmm. I was so good. Um, he, I, you know, when you when you teach on this particular subject, and you bring it out, normally you would bring to do uh, the the New Testament side of it. You would quote uh, Mark fifteen. You would quote Luke. Uh, I think it's twenty two or twenty three. You would, you would quote the last part of Jesus's crucifixion his ascension and his exhortation you would bring it out to that point but brother mike took it a whole different route he took it to psalms 22 mm. and he broke down prophecies you know uh, you don't hear that too much no more no you, you know you hear a lot of people will say that you know jesus fulfilled all these prophecies for a man to go ahead and break it down and like Brother Mike said in the message, he couldn't quote all of them. He quoted the right. majority of them. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, you know, you don't hear that type of teaching no more. Bringing it from the Old Testament to the to the time of fulfillment, he made them scriptures come alive. And uh, the, the, the sermon um, was, I don't remember hearing it young like you did, mm -hmm. but... Um, just hearing this message, it um, it brought it did bring back memories. Yes, it uh, did. Yeah. But it was uh, it was just uh, just the way that brother Mike preached, the way brother Mike teach, and uh, brought it back a lot of memories. That uh, I I just loved how he opened up and how he did this sermon. It was great. Well, one thing I liked what he did was, and I use this analogy a lot when I'm talking to people. They'll talk about like they'll tell me, Boogie, how can you put your faith in one basket? How you can put all your your trust in Christ and the Bible and, and all these things. Well, I say, well, because I talk a lot about the new kingdom age and I talk about, you know, going back when God's going to make everything fresh, renewed from the Garden of Eden. People's like, man, how can you, how do you know for sure that that's going to happen? How can you definitely 100% put your full trust in things like that? How you know it's not a lie? So I said, well, and I do what Brother Mike said. I said, well, one of those things that encouraged me and to make me realize that other things could happen, look at prophecy. I say, can you imagine? I mean, that is very hard for people don't realize how hard prophecy has to be hard to be to be, for, be, to be fulfilled. Look at the analogy he used, mm -hmm. though. He yeah. used the analogy if you put uh, gold coins all over the state of Texas, mm -hmm. three foot high, and you mark one Pacific one, you throw it in there, you. you um, you go ahead and you mix it up. What's the you, chance you're finding? Yeah, what's the chance you're going to find that one mark coin? There is a chance, but it's a multi-trillion uh, chance. It's like literally winning the yeah, lottery. Yeah, it was, yeah, it basically is like winning the lottery. It's, you know, and that's what these prophecies, you got to realize, Jesus just didn't fill one prophecy. He fulfilled, I believe it was 300 and something prophecies. I think 330. I'm not 100% sure. It was that. a lot. It was a lot. And just for him to fulfill one was a great chance. But for him to fulfill 300, that there's no man that could do that. Only God could do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think Brother Mike 
you know, hearing this message back and um, seeing Brother Mike's heart. I think I think he did a great, great job on this. And yeah. uh, look, I encourage everyone to like, subscribe. All of our platforms, we're going to be sharing this. This is a multi-ministry mm-hmm. project right here with uh, BJS and with, um, you know, Coda Homes Fellowship. We, you know, we, we feel that these sermons need to be brought out. And this is one reason right here. Well, the one of the things I liked that he brought out was when he talked about the Psalms, when he says about the crucifixion. You know, most, this is a very amazing prophecy. Matter of fact, I think, I think it's a good thing that one day we should teach it on Brothers of Search in one day about Psalms, how it, it goes to great detail about how, like, they pierce my hands and my feet and, and dogs compass about me and, and all kind of stuff. You think about it. Crucifixion, if, if my memory served me right, crucifixion did not come around until really the Greeks and the Romans, yeah, really, it was, it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It was, it was later Greek side and then Roman side. Yeah, because the Romans adopted but a lot it, of the it wasn't just Psalms twenty. It wasn't just Psalm 22 or the Psalms that prophesied. Look, he even quoted Isaiah 53. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that, that passage right here, mm-hmm. Isaiah 53, is one of the most detailed. Yes. Of Christ's crucifixion, and he brought that out. And look, he just didn't bring out his crucifixion. He brought out his his ascension. That was prophesied. He brought out his mm-hmm. uh, his acts as mm-hmm. Christ, as the man of God walking on this earth. So um, I, I think you know, please enjoy this message. It was a great one for us here. Oh and, yeah, uh, I soaked it in like a sponge oh, just yeah. listening to it earlier. It brought, like I said, it brought back a lot of memories. I could see him up there, you know, behind that pulpit preaching you know as I, I it's a flashback i could see yeah. it all over again but uh i like how he did it. he make you really really think mostly when he talks about prophecy how like i said people don't realize how important prophecy is salvation's important learning about grace learning about the holy spirit all these things are very very important but a lot of things a lot of like you said a lot of churches today they're not focusing on prophecy like they I mean back when i was growing up that's what all you would hear about is prophecy, mostly in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You know, 2000s, it kind of waned some. But but back when I was growing up in church, and I mean, it's amazing. That's all you preachers would talk about was prophecy, how Christ was coming back, and there would be a one-world government and an antichrist. It went, it went from prophecy to prosperity, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and our wrong eschatology now, where it's all about, we're going back to Augustinianism, where they teach... I think, know, I think a lot of the churches, yeah. and that's one thing you're going to get with these, these sermons. I know we're about to have to wrap it up, LB. Yeah. But um, a lot of these sermons, you got to realize what you're hearing is from old-style preaching. Yes, the old days, um, yes. You won't, you know, I think the church, and I've heard uh, Pastor Gabe Swaggart say it. I think also Pastor, Pastor Reagan, my good friend from Crossfire, say mm. it as well. Uh, the church today has become a me, myself, and I type thing. Oh, it's become I agree. a self Proclaim gospel, selfishness, mm-hmm. and that's dangerous, you know. And yeah. look, I even heard uh, Kevin Wallace from Chattanooga, Tennessee, mm-hmm. say the same thing. He said the church today is so focused on itself mm-hmm. and not proclaiming the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, we need to get back to like what Brother Mike, you know, a lot of people, Brother Mike, I don't remember Brother Mike ever saying the phrase "the message of the cross," but if you listen to that message, he was exalting Christ, and yeah, when you exalt Christ, that is the message of the cross, right? And that that's that's you can't you can't deny that. One thing I liked how he said that, I mean, it's not a good good thing because a lot of people do do that. He was saying when I, I was listening to it this while ago, he was saying how a lot of people, 
they 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 will hear the gospel, but sadly a lot will reject it because they know they have to change their ways. And that's sad. And it's sad. And and G, like the disciples told the Lord, how many will be saved? And He told them, very few. And I'm just rephrasing it, but Jesus pretty much told His disciples, there's very only few that's gonna want to like, hey, give up your life and stuff. You see, we we have a lot of Christians today. They teach prosperity oh god's give you everything and this and that and and you don't have to make no changes to your lifestyle you know you can just be whatever you want you can get saved but you don't have to change the world change your ways and that's not what jesus said jesus said when you're going to receive me you know you have to give up the world but people don't realize people say well like Bernard mike just say in one sermon he said one time or it was him or some other preacher said it they'll say you know lord we have to sacrifice so much he's yeah but you know how much you're gaining Yep. You know, and so, yeah, it will be rough giving up a lot of things. And it, it is a sacrifice being a true Christian. It's not easy. But you look in the long run, like uh, like uh, at New Beginnings, uh, uh, Pastor Brandon preached uh, when we had the youth thing. Remember that? And he preached one night. And I liked it when he said, he said, yes, he said, there's trials and tribulation, but down the road, there's something bigger and better. And he's talking about when God's going to set up his new kingdom on the earth after the Armageddon and stuff. So, yeah, and I liked how he said that. You don't hear too much preaching like that today. Like, hey, yeah, you will have to give up things, but it's going to be worth it at the end. And and it's so much different now where prosperity, God will give you everything, and you don't have to change, you know? So, yeah, on that note, uh, like Brother Isaac said, please subscribe. That way you can be notified next time we have mm -hmm. one available. And uh, just thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you on our next episode.